mystery in five songs with host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Well, welcome back once again. This is History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff, brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon Podcast. We are pleased, as always, to be part of this vast and always expanding Pantheon Podcast Network. We're available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. So this is episode 219. I'm calling this Hair Metal Fails by 70s Bands. Uh, 218 was Hair Metal Wins by 70s Bands. And I might have one more in this series uh, that could uh, could lead to be the uh, the most interesting one I think out of all of these but uh, the three together make a good trilogy of how these 70s bands fared in terms of navigating uh, the waters of the big hair metal thing that happened from basically 1983 to 1982 let's say um, you know with the Nexus uh, being the Sunset Strip uh, there in uh, West Hollywood I think it's West Hollywood right um, anyways Hollywood um, yeah fond memories of making that trip down there going to uh, going to the private box with Brian Slagle uh, when, and seeing a, a Kings game we saw an Anaheim uh, Ducks game as well. Um, we went to Disneyland, right? Um, a good friend of mine, Bob Nalbandian, sadly no longer with us, took me on a little tour of the Sunset Strip. It was very cool. Got to hang out with him. And yes, yeah, so that's kind of where it all happened, but it certainly didn't happen for these bands. Uh, so this is your Hair Metal Fails by 70s Bands. Let's take a listen to our first selection and we shall discuss. This is Triumph with Hooked on You. All right, so uh, the theme here is going to be these Canadian bands. Uh, Triumph is a really, really woeful example of a band that um, might have been able to navigate the hair metal waters, uh, but just basically failed at it. This is off of the Sport of Kings. On uh, September 11th, 1986, this came out, so right in the punted thick of the hair metal situation. Uh, this one I, I find kind of interesting. It's sung by both Gil and Rick, so this band, it's a trio, of course, and they had two singers in the band. Um, but, you know, perhaps they didn't have the look. Uh, they were starting to fight a lot by this stage. You know, Mike Levine with the big handlebar mustache. I mean, they didn't really jump into the clothes so much. But, you know, the, the fact of the matter is Triumph kind of pioneered this whole thing uh, in, in, a, in a certain respect. So they, they could have, should have been able to do this. They were great businessmen. They got big producers for these albums. You know, Allied Forces in 81 went platinum. Uh, I'm, I'm amazed that Just a Game is gold in the States. That blows my mind uh, from two records back. But yeah, Progressions of Power, I uh, didn't certify. Um, and it's probably my favorite, that or Allied Forces. But Allied Forces, Platinum, Never Surrender in 1982 went gold. 
Thunder 7 and 84 even went gold in the state. So they had a great sort of foundation uh, to be able to get into this situation. So they had a gold album in hair metal's first big year, basically, 1984, uh, produced by Eddie Kramer. Then this Sport of Kings uh, came out in 86. It did not uh, um, certify. It was produced by Mike Klink. Guns N' Roses, right? And then they had surveillance in 1987, uh, and it didn't certify, and it was self-produced. These last two were recorded at Metalworks, you know, Gilmore's uh, big studio. But, you know, the fact of the matter is the songwriting was atrocious. They seemed to not really have any clue about having a vision or a direction. I don't know if there was really very much, uh, you know, creative uh, acumen in this band ever. Um, they, um, you know, it's it's funny working on that triumph doc uh you know i ended up transcribing um hours and hours of reviews for the triumph doc at, at banger and the funny thing is it just hit me like a lightning bolt at one point all this talk this band did about themselves they never once talked about songwriting um so they had nothing to say lyrically uh that they they just allowed horrible productions to happen awful keyboard sounds awful drum sounds um and uh yeah th these these later records you know no one's really a fan of them um it it's almost like it's almost like their fit their place and time obviously the us festival is the pinnacle of their career but it's almost like their their place in time was to be a fairly heavy band in the late 70s or the early 80s. Go back to my, um, you know, Did Canada Invent Hair Metal episode. I really like that episode. But Triumph is kind of in there setting the groundwork for this thing, but they just didn't uh, transition over. Uh, in terms of these Canadian bands, again, you've got Kim Mitchell going on as a solo career. You know, I don't think that was really ever going to fit. Um, it's the namesake of this guy who, you know, he's he's kind of like a tall, lanky guy. He's balding a little. He's quirky. He's a great songwriter. Pai Dubois is one of my favorite lyricists of all time. He's writing the lyrics. You know, and, and he has quite an, a, a great run in Canada, but it just didn't translate to the States. I don't think he was ever going to be a hair metal guy. He's too smart for that, too great a guitarist. The lyrics were too good. Um so that wasn't really going to carry over, despite having Peter Fredette as the second singer, who's amazing. Um, but yeah, they kind of had their place. Uh, you know, people have said about Kim, uh, this pulling out of the tour um, when they were on tour with Rush and breaking up Max Webster might have uh, cursed him forever in terms of being able to navigate the business waters in the States. Um, so I don't know if uh, there's much to be said for that, but yeah, Kim Mitchell's another one that didn't carry over. Another one just like Triumph that didn't carry over, identical really, is April Wine uh, for these Canadian bands. Um, Nature of the Beast, 1981, goes platinum. Power Play, 1982, doesn't certify. Animal Grace in 84, doesn't certify. Walking Through Fire in 85, doesn't certify. Uh, then there's nothing until Frigate in uh, 1993. Walking Through Fire is considered um, almost like a posthumous album where the band was breaking up or almost broken up uh, where it got made and, and released. Uh, but again, just like Triumph... Um, 
They just allowed every bad production thing to be done to them. They didn't have any vision. They didn't. They didn't seem to really like like decide that they wanted to be in this hair metal thing. So they're still making songs that now sound dated. They sound four to five years old, sort of thing. They're, they sound more like 1981, 1980 music. You know, I often say Sammy Hager's an interesting case of this heartland rock sort of thing. Your your Night Ranger, your Lover Boy. Um, that whole early 80s situation, it's almost like April Wine and Triumph never uh, got out of being uh, that sort of situation. And, and it, you know, these later records exposed that perhaps the songwriting wasn't there. Perhaps they just weren't that good. Um, and uh, Triumph, definitely. Uh, the, those, those later Triumph albums are some of the most atrocious albums you'll ever hear. Um, just pandering, just trying in a, in a really stumbly way to fit into the hair metal thing. And it just, it's just like a big no. Um, I want to mention one other one. Uh, it's not, it's not an, uh, a seventies band per se, but I think it's an interesting case. Uh, and it's not even particularly a fail. Um, it's actually, they, they do kind of okay. Uh, lover boy, a lover boy, 1980 album the self-title goes double platinum get lucky 1981 goes four times platinum in the states so this again uh, paints and points uh, to that situation of these canadian bands in the early 80s uh, laying the groundwork for the whole hair metal thing keep it up in 83 goes double platinum loving every minute of it 85 double platinum so they are you know now in the punted thick of the hair metal thing and doing quite well wild side goes gold um and then it's kind of a fail because they stop there. I mean, even with a gold record, you would think, okay, you know, you got to get one more out of these guys. Um, so yeah, so that's uh, your Canadian band situation. Let's take a short break. We'll be right back. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. 
we're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. All right, back again here. Episode 219, Hair Metal Fails by 70s Bands. Let's take a listen to our second selection and we shall discuss. This is Saxon with We Came Here to Rock. All right, they just squeeze in here because their first album is May 1979, Saxon Saxon. Uh, this album here, um, this is your, uh, this is your, um, you know, you've got the likes of uh, Battle Cry in here, Waiting for the Night, You Ain't No Angel, and the infamous Party Till You Puke. So Saxon, really, really bad situation here again. Power and the Glory um, is an amazing album, an absolute complete masterpiece. 1983, so it's the tail end of the new wave of British heavy metal, decisively a new wave of British heavy metal album produced by Jeff Glixman. Incredible record. Uh, but they start trying to navigate the hair metal waters and start trying to like build on these inroads that they got with power and the glory um in the states with crusader 1984 produced by kevin beamish the wheels are kind of falling off here they've got the novelty covers going the production's not great um very cavernous kind of missing the guitars um they followed up with Innocence is No Excuse, 1985, produced by Simon Hanhart with the infamous uh, front cover of the girl biting the apple and it's all kind of fakey looking. <laughs> Rock the Nations, 1986, produced by Gary Lyons, famous party boy producer. Um, and then Destiny, 1988, uh, produced by Stefan Gallus. You know, this was painful. I... I my my Saxon book, uh, Denim and Leather, is still completely available. I've got them at martinpopoff.com. You can get them from Weimar in the UK. But it was painful writing these chapters on these uh, these later albums. Uh, well, not later albums. They have like a dozen, 20 albums after this kind of thing. They, they made a lot of music and they really kind of reformed themselves. Really starting quite, quite more or less right away. Like they've... The rest of the catalog is is quite interesting and quite good, um, but uh, yeah, they they uh, they looked terrible. The the the, um, the clothing choices were awful. You know, bandanas and things around their head and stuff like that. Just really, you know, Biff in his kind of white suits kind of thing. Um, they 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 didn't get the look right at all. Uh, you know, and granted, they were they were kind of an older band. Even in '79, they'd been going for a few years. Um, and uh, and so maybe maybe it's not so surprising uh, that they didn't do so great. Um, but you know they they could have done better. There there seemed to be you know a little bit of momentum. Like I say, um, they might have navigated the waters more like a traditional heavy metal band trying to stick with traditional heavy metal and plowing through that whole thing. Uh, so that might have worked. But um, 
just bouncing around to all these producers, trying these these you know flagrant hair metal ploys. Um, absolutely not looking the part, you know, looking like a bunch of '70s guys trying to tart themselves up. Uh, it it did not did not look good, and it did not sound good. You got Elton John playing piano on one song later on, I believe. Uh, yeah, just uh, just really sort of novelty things and just tr- atrocious lyrics. Just trying to be hair metal with these uh, these hair metal uh, lyrics. Uh, you know, and the theme here uh, a little bit. These new wave of British heavy metal bands. Granted, I mean they aren't '70s bands, but this this whole thing didn't work. Tigers of Pantank fell flat on their face. Savage uh, followed up a magnificent album with kind of a hair metal-y thing. You've got your Chrome Molly and your Baby Taku. Um, you know, you've got uh, you've got the likes of those these later bands not really even doing all that great either. You know, as much as they tried to push Thunder uh, all over Kerrang all the time, uh, they did not break through in the states. You had London Choir Boys who had a little bit of success. Little Angels. Um, you know, early on you had Wrathchild. Um, so yeah, that none of this UK stuff really broke through. There's just the the one major anomaly in Def Leppard, I guess, is is the big deal. So uh, all right, let's move on. Let's listen to our third selection here. Take a listen. Your eye heap with Rich Kid. All right, so here you go. Your Eye Heap from Raging Silence, 1989. So this is produced by Richard Dodd. Um, this is the first one with Bernie Shaw. Obviously, Your Eye Heap would very quickly, not very quickly, it would, it would take a little while, um, basically up to, I, I guess, starting with Sea of Light. Um, but starting at that point, you, Your Eye Heap just becomes an amazing, amazing band again. Probably one of the best examples, most inspiring examples of a band making amazing music, lots of records, uh, just rehabilitating themselves. Basically, Your Eye Heap in the 2000s is, uh, is, you know, is a close second to Your Eye Heap in the early 70s in terms of uh, quality of what they're doing. But um, so the situation with them, they get some momentum going with, granted, uh, trying to, to be a little more commercial and a little bit of a hair metal direction with the Bombadog, March 1982, produced by Ashley Howe. Uh, they follow up uh, that with the very creditable, I really like it, Head First, May 1983, Ashley Howe producing again. Uh, the wheels start falling off a little bit um, because it's got kind of a clattery production. Equator 1985, Tony Platt. Now, the important thing is this is the Peter Golby um, trilogy. So he's the lead singer of the band and he's gone after this. Um, but I think they do a pretty good job of uh, of uh, bringing Uriah Heap, obviously an ancient band at this point. They're not going to look the part. You know, granted, we don't really expect them to do well, but they come into it and uh, and they do a, kind of a good job of a synthesis of, um, you know, not really much early Uriah Heap in here. So not, not really any of like the late 70s sound or the early 70s sound, but more like um, a, a commercial... British sound mixed with that commercial heartland rock nascent birth of hair metal sound from about 1980 to 1983 um, along with traditional heavy metal so they they bring they bring into these records and and bring forward um, 
the idea of uh, an identity that bends a little but doesn't break sort of thing. I think Raging Silence is uh, is much crappier, though. This is May 1989, so there is a four-year uh, gap in here as well. Um, and this does have a lot of flagrant hair metal ploys, as you can tell on this song. It really sounds like a hair metal band. They're, they're totally trying to be that way. And then they follow it up with Different World in 1991. I took these out here. What's... Uh, what do we got here? So, uh, so on um, the Raging Silence, we've got the Blood Red Roses was a pretty big song, but you got Lifeline, Voice on My TV, Cry Freedom, Bad Bad Man, More Fool You, When the War Is Over, Rough Justice, Hold Your Head Up, Right, the cover of uh, the Origin song. So, so that's a that's a a novelty hair metal ploy as well. And then they even um, redo Look at Yourself on it. So you can you can tell they're uh, you know. Uh, clamoring for a direction and I look at the clothes and the in the shot on the back and they really are trying to do the hair metal thing there's a lot of fringe and fills and uh, you know you can tell a you know a costume guy got to them but they've got these slightly fancy jackets and stuff um, Bernie Shaw's looking pretty laid back there looking pretty young uh, in his ripped jeans a different world has the likes of blood on stone which way the wind blow uh, which way will the wind blow? All God's children, all for wah. They're not. They're not terribly hair metal uh, sounding titles, um, and they both have pretty crappy album covers. Um, all right, so let's move on to our next selection here. Take a listen to this: Blush Occult with Shadow Warrior. <laughs> Okay, so Blue Oyster Cult is another, um, you know, fail that feels a little bit like the Uriah Heap situation, I suppose. They get a, a lot of momentum going with just being a big band throughout most of the late 70s. Um, Fire of Unknown Origin is well received. Uh, it goes, it's it's only certified as gold right now, but I, I that, that album certainly... If you start, if someone went back, like Steve Shank, if you're listening, go back and and go go get these guys some more certifications based on streaming numbers because I think you can. Um, anyways, um, so that happens. Uh, they lose Albert, so they lose a key songwriter. They put out a double live album. They put out Revolution by Night, produced by Bruce Fairburn, and uh, here you get them trying to squeeze into uh, the nascent hair metal sound. You've got kind of a, a really, uh, you know, Simmons electronic drums uh, sound going um, uh, on on uh, on the drum situation here, uh, which is kind of distracting. But when you get up to this album that I played Shadow Warrior off of, this is Club Ninja, December 10th, 1985. It's a very overworked album produced by Sandy Perlman, but you would never know it. There's nothing 70s about it. It's just a lot of hair metal tropes thrown into the production. Very soupy, sloggy drums. Um, the, the songs are just not very, very good or up-tempo. Um, as you can hear with the Shadow Warrior thing, they're trying a few more Imaginos uh, type things. By the way, I really got to get that second Imaginos book done. Uh, it's one of my priorities for the next couple of weeks. Um, it is awesome so far. It's even better than Flaming Telepaths, which is one of my favorite things I've ever done. Um, but I've only got 25 pictures done, and I want to get 14 more at least to match uh, what I did in the old one. The word count is more. It's going to be really, really cool. Um, anyways, um, but it does also have... Uh, you know, things like Dancing in the Ruins, Make Rock, Not War, 
um, and beat him up. Um, so it's got these uh, these kind of attempts at a sort of hair metal thing. But basically what happens is it comes across as dated hair metal, guys that can't do hair metal, guys that seem to be trying to be commercial and then falling flat on their face. Uh, it worked much better with Revolution by Night when they tried to just stick in their lane and be this this old-sounding band. I've often said of Club Ninja, by the way, uh, the new the new Blue Oyster Cult book uh, just out is the panel book, and uh, there were some great things said about the comparison between these two albums. It's called Dominance and Submission, the Blue Oyster Cult canon. You can get that at martinpopoff.com. Um, but... Um, the this you know the one thing I remember uh, that these guys talked about and we kind of came to this uh, idea together is that uh, this album could even come out before Revolution by Night and it wouldn't have sounded uh, any more out of date or in date. It sounds like a 1982 album even though it's 85, and Revolution by Night sounds like an 83 album. Um, they they kind of they the band sort of falls apart a bit. They get smaller and smaller. They're playing clubs. They do the Imaginos album, which uh, which. Is, is more like a, a sitting out the hair metal thing. They're really like not even trying anymore. It's like they took their one shot at it and, it and it was a bomb commercial and critically and then they do this album and then they're gone for a long, long time. So uh, so that's definitely a hair metal fail. Um, I want to mention one other band that I think is kind of analogous to this uh, because he grew up in the same, uh, you know, the, the same world as Blue called is Ted Nugent. Um, this this is also a, a 70s band. What did I call this again? Episode 219, Hair Metal Fails by 70s Band. So Ted Nugent's situation is uh, he makes an atrocious album called Nugent in 1982. Bad, bad situation. Uh, not really much of a band, just one of his worst. It, it's kind of like signals, you know, um, the, the start of this this fallow period where before you know he had some good stuff in there i i really i'm still um you know a champion of scream dream and state of shock a lot of people aren't um anyways penetrator comes out in 1984 brian howe is singing this and it's a really decent hair metal album um it's a little bit dated for 1984 it's maybe like 1983 early 83 mid 83 sort of sound um it's very sort of clatter uh, clattery and high production a little bit like equator um but uh, Brian Howe uh, is a great singer he goes on to be in bad company and I think they do a pretty good job um Little Miss Dangerous comes out in 1986. Dave Amato is singing, and again, it's a pretty decent album. It gets a little bit of notoriety with the Ted Nugent sung title track. Um, gets on radio a little bit. So he's kind of doing an okay job at this point. But alas, it is a fail because both of them fail commercially. And then they follow up with uh, If You Can't Lick Em, Lick Em. Uh, 1988, Ted sings uh, this basically. Tom Werman produces, but you'd never know it. It doesn't sound like a Tom Werman production. Um, and it fails uh, again. This one fails even more, uh, critically speaking, I would say. Uh, and it fails, you know, equally badly uh, on, a, on a commercial level. So, you know, Ted is a fail in this. It, the band is changing all the time. There's no chemistry. There's no real band. There's no Derek St. Holmes. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think uh, the, both of those albums... Penetrator and Little Miss Dangerous deserve uh, a little bit of a look in. Um, all right, let's move on to our fifth selection here. Take a listen to this. This is Molly Hatchet with Stone in Your Heart.
Okay, Molly Hatchet. So the theme here is the Southern Rock bands, Molly Hatchet being the most flagrant of these. This is from The Deed Is Done, uh, November 1984, Song Doctor songs all over the place. Um, all the Southern Rockisms of this band are gone. They're replaced by braying keyboards and maudlin, you know, truck stop, Walmart metal, um, you know, sort of melodies that, uh, that these you know, these bands, these labels, these producers tried to say, eh, we'll give it, we'll give you a little bit of this. You can, you can maybe have new country chord changes, uh, and we'll see if that works. And then we'll stick some terrible keys over top of it. And we'll, and we'll bring in some guys to write songs because you certainly can't write songs for the eighties sort of thing. Right. Um, so Molly Hatchet starts out, uh, the 1978 debut goes platinum flirting with disaster, 79 double platinum. Beating the odds, platinum. So they're doing great, right? Uh, Take No Prisoners, 1981, does not certify. No Guts, No Glory, 1983, does not certify. This album, The Deed Is Done, 84, does not certify. Lightning Strikes, 1989, doesn't certify. Um, so yeah, this album, The Deed Is Done, they all they all got those perfectly cool uh, Molly Hatchet album covers. It's got a big warrior on it, Blood on the Axe. Uh, but yeah, we got Straight Shooter, Backstabber, Satisfied Man, Good Smoking Whiskey, She Does, She Does, I Ain't Got You, Heartbreak Radio, Stone in Your Heart, Man on the Run, Song for the Children. Um, you know, we've got, what's to see, what do we got here? Take No Prisoners, 1981. These are all signed by Dave Lubeck back in 2006 down by the Opera House here in Toronto. It was great meeting him. Sadly, no longer with us. Um, yeah, big weight problem with him. You you figured his, uh, his days were sort of numbered. But 1981... Yeah, so yeah, I won't even read these these song titles because 1981 is is not the period we're talking about, is it? Um, no guts, no glory. 83. So yeah, so this is the start of the hair metal thing. They're still looking totally, totally southern rock on the back cover. They're they're literally dressed as cowboys, um, shooting guns and stuff. Follow the peacemakers under the gun on the prowl. Both sides ain't even close. What's it gonna take? What does it matter? Um, so on this one, there's actually a photograph of the guys. Yeah, they're dressed all wild west on the front. You know, go, going out for a big duel sort of thing um but yeah that's uh that's probably the worst one the most ridiculed uh of these southern rock band situations but let's not forget there's also blackfoot siogo which uh you know blackfoot siogo um 1983 so they're trying a hair metal thing but i think they do a really good job of it uh, again it's a little bit like your eye heap abominog there's the ken hensley um you know connection as well but to me i think this is a good combination of uh, sort of southern rock and some of those good roots rock melodies but but really tight tough production the keyboards are done right they're not flagrant um you know nothing's modeling about it 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 really does sound like a, a really decent attempt and something they could have carried forward but they didn't vertical smiles in 1984 is terrible rick medlock and blackfoot in 87 is terrible medicine man 990 not even really a blackfoot i mean neither is rick medlock and blackfoot so they they basically crash in flames very fast um unfortunately yeah i, I wish people would have accepted siogo i thought it was a pretty cool album uh leonard skinner does nothing at all in the 80s uh, obviously they're dealing with a, a tragedy but really they sit out the entire 80s with this thing um but in their place you've got rossington collins band um with return to the scene of the crime in 86 love your man in 88 um i thought those were pretty decent albums and they tried to do the hair metal thing um and uh you know they they did it not not terribly i suppose i i 
Well, I don't know. Maybe they're maybe they're not so great. Um, but you know, the early Rossington Collings bands album, uh, I I think are really good. Um, you know, those the Alan Collins. What else do we got here? The Danny Joe Brown. There's there's a whole bunch of these side records in Southern Rock. Remember, I got that book Southern Rock Review, right? Uh, there's these side records um, that uh, people don't talk about a lot that that are some of the best Southern Rock records of all time. Um, Thirty eight special. Another case of of this whole thing. Every basically every one of these southern rock bands, um, you know, ZZ Top's a funny one. That's a that's a whole different situation. Uh, but these southern rock bands, anyways, uh, just did not navigate this. Um, the industry, you know, whether they were conspiring against them, whether these bands were not moving to LA, which is the case too. Um, the the whole the whole southern rock vibe. Uh, and ethos uh, was like oil and water with the whole hair metal thing. It just did not go together. Like the English bands, they actually didn't look the part either. They're all you know packing on a few pounds at this point too. They like their long hair and they like their mustaches and stuff. 38 Special, Wild-Eyed Southern Boys, 1981. Their fourth goes platinum. 1982's Special Forces goes platinum. Tour de Force, 83, platinum. What a run. But again, um, they are in there doing kind of the Siogo thing. They're in there doing the um the really good combination of slightly getting into the 80s but keeping some of their sound and and staying traditional in other ways so um they're not they're not there's not a bunch of hair metal tropes at this place because we're still pre-hair metal but they're doing a really good job of being this commercial radio kind of hard rock and southern a heartland rock uh sort of sort of band um uh, strength in numbers, 86 goes gold, uh, so they're having a bit of a drop. Rock and roll strategy in 1988 does not certify. Born against, uh, born against steel, 1991 does not certify either. Um, and yeah, you're getting into the album covers, looking, you know, the the black and white and the in the really kind of trying to look classy thing uh, that goes on, right? Um, so yeah, there you go. That's your Southern Rock theme uh, in these fails as well. They're basically all fails. Other honorable mentions I wanted to say, uh, UFO, Misdemeanor 85, Ain't Misbehaving EP of Six New Songs 88, High Stakes and Dangerous Men 92. Uh, this is, you know, the infamous Atomic Tommy T, uh, Atomic Tommy M era, Misdemeanor and Ain't Misbehaving. Uh, it still blows my mind that Paul Gray, who is an absolute legend, I love the guy, he's in The Damned, he's a big part of The Damned, he was on those things. Um, so that's terrible for him. Uh, not a good part of his resume, but yeah, UFO did not navigate these waters well, and they really kind of could have, should have. Um, they just had, they, they were a band that kind of set up all this as well. They had such a great resume of these hard rocking, you know, interesting songs with uh, a Springsteen vibe and keyboards and all that stuff. A lot of melody, very mainstreamy, um, but they could not do it in the 80s. Cheap Trick's a funny one. You know, you might call it a success because uh, while well, Standing on the Edge does not certify 85, Doctor does not certify 86, Lap of Luxury uh, in 88 goes platinum, uh, but those guys even don't even like that album. It's all song doctory and crappy. Busted, uh, same sort of record. Um, we did a Contrarians episode calling it the worst cheap trick album in 1990 does not certify so i i would call cheap trick a fail all told even though they uh they pooped out a platinum album uh during that time but it is a horrible album um and really there's not not much to get super excited about there crocus uh is another one uh you know good foundation with headhunter um 
the Blitz, Bruce Fairburn produced, goes gold, uh, but they're getting a little hair medley there, or pretty hair medley. Change of Address, produced by Tom Werman, 1986, does not certify Heart Attack. They get rid of the logo, 1988, self-produced, it does not certify. So they they unwisely go into a hair metal direction. And again, I think the, 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 um, the lesson here is maybe if some of these bands would have stuck to their you know just 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 lean it a little bit um left uh back to their um traditional metal roots and keep going and and add a little bit of hair metal but not a lot of hair metal some of these bands might have persevered kind of like a like an aussie situation where you bent you bent but you did not break sort of thing um so there you go if you like this episode want to support future episodes go to ko-fi.com uh slash martin popoff hit that red support button buy me a coffee or a pint this week, I would like to thank Andy at Black Sugar Transmission, uh, who just did an amazing job. He's going to be in uh, one of my panel books coming up again. Man, it's, it's great talking to him. Lee Clifford, uh, David Fisher, very generous. Take a break, bud. Very cool. Uh, Lee Fordham, Jamie Laszlo, John Lilly, uh, Monty Olson, Augustin Garcia de Preti, Steve Polari, and William Walker. Keep those ideas coming, William. We'll get back to some of them again, but uh, but I appreciate your enthusiasm and also very generous. Thank you again. Um, for all the books, you can go to martinpopoff.com. Um, some exciting ones coming down the pipes. Although, why do I keep saying this stuff? Because these these episodes are not particularly time sensitive. They just last forever, right? Uh, but anyways, the, the Who book is coming. The Kiss book is coming. The Bluestrick Cult book is out now and it's selling really well. Uh, and that's a panel book. Man, if you want to learn everything you want to know about Bluestrick Cult beyond what I've ever told you in Bluestrick Cult books, hearing other opinions uh, and great concepts and great theories. Um, yeah, that's uh, Dominance and Submission. Uh, the Bluestrick Cult canon. Martin Pop off.com uh your homework for today you know what go go uh go listen to what could have should have uh there are some great songs on blackfoot co go go play that blackfoot album find all of our shows notes social and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts all songs can be found for purchase on itunes spotify or google play Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at the RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us at RNR Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.